0: There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Rowe, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History. Brought to you from a Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. March 4. On this date in sports history in the year 2004, Mayanne Bagger becomes the first transgender athlete to play in a pro golf tournament. Mayanne Bagger, a golfer from Denmark, makes history at the Women's Australian Open as the first transgender athlete to compete in a professional golf tournament. Bagger shoots an underwhelming 84, 12 over par, in her first round, but that is a footnote to this historic performance. Bagger told reporters it took her a while to overcome the nervousness associated with a feat. I don't know where my swing was. I was pretty numb the first seven holes. I couldn't really feel much below my shoulders. Bagger who was assigned male at birth in 1966, began playing golf as an 8-year-old. She was photographed with star golfer Greg Norman in Golf World magazine as a 14-year-old. However, she struggled with her sexuality identity as a teen, stopped playing golf, and felt thoroughly depressed, even suicidal. She had gender-affirming surgery in 1995 and resumed playing golf again at age 32 in 1998. Some questioned whether a 5 foot 10, 150-pound bagger would have a physical advantage over the field. Bagger told Jay Shadler of ABC TV's Primetime she would not, and her competitors welcomed her participation at the Australian Open. In 2004, Bagger qualified for the ladies' European tour and had a couple decent showings in her career, in addition to leaving a legacy as the first transgender professional golfer her advocacy caused a number of golf associations, such as the LPGA, to amend their bylaws to remove female at-birth requirements. March 5. On this day in history, in the year 1963, the Hula Hoop is patented. The Hula Hoop, a hip-swiveling toy that became a huge fad across America when it was first marketed by wham in 1958, is patented by the company's co-founder, Arthur Spud Mellon. An estimated 25 million hula hoops were sold in its first four months of production alone. In 1948, friends Arthur Mellon and Richard Nure founded a company in California to sell a slingshot they created to shoot meat up to falcons they used for hunting. The company's name, Whammo, came from the sound the slingshots supposedly made. Whammo eventually branched out from slingshots, selling boomerangs and other sporting goods. Its first hit toy, a flying plastic disc, known as the Frisbee, debuted in 1957. The Frisbee was originally marketed under a different name, the Pluto Platter, in an effort to capitalize with America's fascination with UFOs. Melinda and Nur were inspired to develop the hula hoop after they saw a wooden hoop that Australian children twirled around their waists during gym class. Wamo began producing a plastic version of the hoop, dubbed Hula, after the hip, gyrating Hawaiian dance of the same name, and demonstrated it on Southern California playgrounds, hula hoop mania took off from there. The enormous popularity of the hula hoop was short-lived, and within a matter of months, the masses were on to the next big thing. However, the hula hoop never faded away completely and still has its fans today. According to Ripley's Believe It or Not, in April 2004, a performer at the Big Apple Circus in Boston Simultaneously spun 100 hoops around her body. Earlier that same year in January, according to the Guinness World Records, two people in Tokyo, Japan managed to spin the world's largest hula hoop at 13 feet 4 inches around their waists at least three times each. Following the hula hoop, Wamo continued to produce a steady stream of wacky and beloved novelty items, including the Super Ball, Water Wiggle, Silly String, Slip and Slide, and the Hacky Sack. March 6. On this date in history, in the year 1899, Bayer patents aspirin. The German company Bayer patents aspirin on March 6, 1899, now the most common drug in household medicine cabinets. Acetyl salicylic acid was originally made from a chemical found in the bark of willow trees. In its primitive form, the active ingredient, salicin was used for centuries in folk medicine, beginning in ancient Greece when Hippocrates used it to relieve pain and fever. Known to doctors since the mid-19th century, it was used sparingly due to its unpleasant taste and tendency to damage the stomach. In 1897, Bayer employee Felix Hoffman found a way to create a stable form of the drug that was easier and more pleasant to take. Some evidence show that Hoffmann's work was really done by a Jewish chemist, Arthur Eichengrün, whose contributors were covered up during the Nazi era. After obtaining the patent rights, Bayer began distributing aspirin in powder form to physicians to give their patients one gram at a time. The brand name came from A for acetyl, spur from the spuria plant, a source of salicin, and the suffix in, commonly used for medications— It quickly became the number one drug worldwide. Aspirin was made available in tablet form and without a prescription in 1915. Two years later, when Bayer's patent expired during the First World War, the company lost the trademark rights to aspirin in various countries. After the United States entered the war against Germany in April 1917, the Alien Property Custodian, a government agency that administers foreign property, seized Bayer's U.S. assets. Two years later, the Bayer Company name and trademarks for the United States and Canada were auctioned off and purchased by Sterling Products Company, later Sterling Winthrop for $5.3 million. Bayer became part of IG Farben, the conglomerate of German chemical industries that formed the financial heart of the Nazi regime. After World War II, the Allies split apart IG Farben, and Bayer again merged as an individual company. Its purchase of Miles Laboratory in 1978 gave it a product line including Alka-Seltzer and Flintstones and One-A-Day Vitamins. In 1994, Bayer bought Sterling Winthrop's over-the-counter business, gaining back rights to the Bayer name and logo and allowing the company once again to profit from American sales of its most famous product. March 7. On this date in history, in the year 1876, ALEXANDER GRAHAM BELL PATENTS THE TELEPHONE 29-year-old Alexander Graham Bell receives a patent for his revolutionary new invention, the telephone. The Scottish-born Bell worked in London with his father, Melville Bell, who developed Visible Speech, a written system used to teach speaking to the deaf. In the 1870s, the Bells moved to Boston, Massachusetts, where the younger Bell found work as a teacher at the Pemberton Avenue School for the Deaf. He later married one of his students, Mabel Hubbard. While in Boston, Bell became very interested in the possibility of transmitting speech over wires. Samuel F. B. Morse's invention of the telegraph in 1843 had made nearly instantaneous communication possible between two distant points. The drawback of the telegraph, however, was that it still required hand delivery of messages between telegraph stations and recipients, and only one message could be transmitted at a time. Bell wanted to improve on this by creating a harmonic telegraph, a device that combined aspects of the telegraph and record player to allow individuals to speak to each other from a distance. With the help of Thomas A. Watson, a Boston Machine Shop employee, Bell developed a prototype In his first telephone, sound waves caused an electric current to vary in intensity and frequency, causing a thin, soft, iron plate, called the diaphragm, to vibrate. These vibrations were transferred magnetically to another wire connected to a diaphragm in another distant instrument. When that diaphragm vibrated, the original sound would be replicated in the ear of the receiving instrument. Three days after filing the patent, the telephone created its first intelligible message, the famous, Mr. Watson, come here, I need you, from Bell to his assistant. March 8. On this date in history, in the year 1950, the VW bus, the icon of the counterculture movement, goes into production. Volkswagen, maker of the Beetle automobile, expands its product offerings to include a microbus, which goes into production on March 8, 1950. Known officially as the Volkswagen Type 2, the Beetle was the Type 1, or the Transporter, the bus was a favorite mode of transportation for hippies in the U.S. during the 1960s and became an icon of the American counterculture movement. The VW bus was reportedly the brainchild of Dutch businessman Ben Pon, an importer of Beetles to the Netherlands, who saw a market for a small bus, and in 1947, sketched out his concept. Volkswagen engineers further developed the idea, and in March 1950, the vehicle, with its boxy, utilitarian shape and rear engine, went into production. The bus eventually collected a number of nicknames, including the Combi for Combined Use Vehicle, and the Spittel, for its Split Windshield. In Germany, it was known as the Bully, In the U.S., it was referred to by some as the hippie van or bus because it was used to transport groups of young people and their camping gear and other supplies to concerts and anti-war rallies. Some owners painted colorful murals on their buses and replaced the VW logo on the front with a peace symbol. According to Bug by Phil Patton, when Grateful Dead musician Jerry Garcia died in 1995, Volkswagen ran an ad featuring a drawing of the front of the bus with a tear streaming down it. The bus was only the second product offering for Volkswagen, a company whose history dates back to the 1930s Germany. In 1933, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany and announced he wanted to build new roads and affordable cars for the German people. At that time, Austrian-born engineer Ferdinand Porsche was already working on creating a small car for the masses. Hitler and Porsche later met and the engineer was charged with designing the inexpensive, mass-produced Volkswagen, or people's car, In 1938, work began on the Volkswagen factory, located in present-day Wolfsburg, Germany. However, full-scale vehicle production didn't begin until after World War II. In the 1950s, the Volkswagen arrived in the U.S. where the initial reception was tepid, due in part to the car's historic Nazi connection, as well as its small size and unusual rounded shape, which later led to it being dubbed the Beetle. In 1959, the advertising agency Doyle Dane Bernbach launched a groundbreaking campaign that promoted the car's diminutive size as a distinct advantage to consumers, and over the next several years, VW became the top-selling auto import in the U.S. In 1972, the VW Beetle passed the iconic Ford Model T as the world's best-selling car with over 15 million vehicles produced. March 9. On this date in history, in the year 1959, the Barbie doll makes its debut. On March 9, 1959, the first Barbie doll goes on display at the American Toy Fair in New York City. Eleven inches tall, with a waterfall of blonde hair, Barbie was the first mass-produced toy doll in the United States with adult features. The woman behind Barbie was Ruth Handler, who co-founded Mattel Inc. with her husband in 1945. After seeing her young daughter ignore her baby dolls to play make-believe with paper dolls of adult women, Handler realized there was an important niche in the market for a toy that allowed little girls to imagine the future. Barbie's appearance was modeled on a doll named Lily based on a German comic strip character. Originally marketed as a racy gag gift to adult men in tobacco shops, the Lily doll later became extremely popular with children. Mattel bought the rights to Lily and made its own version, which Handler named after her daughter Barbara. With its sponsorship of the Mickey Mouse Club TV program in 1955, Mattel became one of the first toy companies to broadcast commercials to children. They used this medium to promote their new toy, and by 1961, the enormous consumer demand for the doll led Mattel to release a boyfriend for Barbie. Handler named him Ken, after her son. Barbie's best friend, Midge, came out in 1963. Her little sister Skipper debuted the following year. Over the years, Barbie generated huge sales and a lot of controversy, On the positive side, many women saw Barbie as providing an alternative to traditional 1950s gender roles. She has a series of different jobs, from airline stewardess, doctor, pilot, and astronaut, to Olympic athlete, and even U.S. presidential candidate. Others thought Barbie's never-ending supply of designer outfits, cars, and dream houses encouraged kids to be materialistic. It was Barbie's appearance that caused the most controversy, however, her tiny waist and enormous breasts. It was estimated that if she were a real woman, her measurements would be 36, 18, 38, led many to claim that Barbie provided little girls with an unrealistic and harmful example and fostered negative body image. Despite the criticism, sales of Barbie-related merchandise continued to soar, topping $1 billion annually by 1993. Since 1959, over one billion dolls in the Barbie family have been sold around the world, and Barbie is now a bona fide global icon. March 10. On this date in history, in the year 1876, the first speech is transmitted by telephone. The first discernible speech is transmitted over a telephone system when inventor Alexander Graham Bell summons his assistants in another room by saying, Mr. Watson, come here, I want you. Bell had received a comprehensive telephone patent just three days before. Alexander Graham Bell, born in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1847, was the son of Alexander Melville Bell, a leading authority in public speaking and speech correction. The young Bell was trained to take over the family business, and, while still a teenager, he became a voice teacher and began to experiment in sound. In 1870, his family moved to Ontario, Canada, and in 1871, Bell went to Boston to demonstrate his father's method of teaching speech to the deaf. The next year, he opened his own school in Boston for training teachers of the deaf and, in 1873, became professor of vocal physiology at Boston University. In his free time, Bell experimented with sound waves and became convinced that it would be possible to transmit speech over a telegraph-like system he enlisted the aid of a gifted mechanic, Thomas Watson, and together the two spent countless nights trying to convert Bell's ideas into practical form. In 1875, while working on his multiple harmonic telegraph, Bell developed the basic ideas for the telephone. He designed a device to transmit speech vibrations electrically between two receivers and in June 1875 tested his invention. No intelligible words were transmitted, but sounds resembling human speech were heard at the receiving end. On February 14, 1876, he filed a U.S. patent application for his telephone. Just a few hours later, another American inventor, Elisha Gray, filed a caveat with the U.S. Patent Office about his intent to seek a similar patent on a telephone transmitter and receiver. Bell filed first. So on March 7, he was awarded U.S. Patent 174,465, which granted him ownership over both his telephone instruments and the concept of a telephone system. Three days later, on March 10, Bell successfully tested his telephone for the first time in his Boston home. In May, he publicly demonstrated the invention before the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in Boston, and in June, at the Centennial Exposition in Philadelphia. In October, he successfully tested his telephone over a two-mile distance between Boston and Cambridgeport. Alexander Graham Bell continued his experiments in communication, inventing the photophone, which transmitted speech by light rays, and the graphophone, which recorded sound. He continued to work with the deaf, including the educator Helen Keller, and used the royalties from his inventions to finance several organizations dedicated to the oral education of the deaf. He later served as president of the National Geographic Society. Beginning in 1895, he experimented with the possibility of flight and built giant man-carrying kites and a hydrofoil craft. He died in 1922 at his summer home and laboratory on Cape Breton Island, Canada. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for March 4 through March 10. If you'd like to learn more about Airs including streaming audio podcasts and more, We invite you to visit and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.